you know, we're always learning and we're always growing. But one thing that people don't consider with doing a master's is the barrier to entry for an entry-level job is, you know, sky high. Whereas if you're in a master's program, you can intern, which makes the barrier to entry for other jobs a lot easier because you have experience. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors, the podcast where I bring in fascinating people from my world, talk about life, data science, sports analytics, content creation, and much, much more. I'm your host, Ken G. I'm very excited to welcome Michael Galarnik to the podcast this week. Michael is a Python and machine learning instructor for Stanford Continuing Studies, LinkedIn Learning, and more. You can find him on Twitter at GalarnikMichael and through his blog on Medium or through his YouTube channel. I'll link all of these things in the description of the video. I've seen quite a few podcast interviews with Michael in the past couple of months, and I just had to have him on the show. In this video, we'll talk about the benefits of formal versus online education, the best ways to land a job. You'll also get to hear his story about when he made a course in a very peculiar place. Now on to the interview. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. I love your background. You're obviously involved on YouTube, a lot of content creation stuff. And I think you bring some really valuable perspectives, specifically on learning, but also on kind of learning through the the new and modern approaches like online courses, whatever that might be. So again, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. Uh, happy to be on. Excellent. Well, I, what I generally like to do is to just let the uh, let the listeners get familiar with you first. And mm -hmm. the question that I love is how how did you first get interested in data science? How did this field start kind of uh, showing itself in front of you? And and what was the thing that really got you hooked? I, I assume you're hooked. Yeah, yeah, of course, I'm way hooked by now. So I did uh, an undergrad in nanoengineering at UC San Diego. And nanoengineering is kind of like it sounds, it's like small stuff. So I did a lot of research as well in the undergrad. And a lot of it was on uh, micromotors for drug delivery, uh, remediating, uh, basically destroying nerve agents, and like did a bunch of papers on that. And if you Google me now, you can still find that sort of stuff. But <laughs> one thing I kind of realized is even when I was working with remediating nerve agents and track and trying to do experiments to find out like how much do micromotors like help the mixing of fluids, like really kind of like isosteric kind of stuff. I realized that I was working with a lot of data. A lot of it was like merging Excel files and just doing some sort of data analysis and doing things strictly in Excel. And if you have a lot of sheets, it's not exactly always the most pleasant process, as you know. And then I realized I need some data skills. And also I needed a job, really because my undergrad, it was very far from a lot of work uh, and a lot of jobs in the marketplace. So I decided to do a master's in data science from UC San Diego, uh, and that was a lot of fun. And that's kind of how I got started. And then I started making courses and a bunch of other stuff. That's awesome. And so did you go straight from your undergraduate into that uh, master's in data science degree? I did. I did an internship over the summer at a company called Symer, which I think is now ASML. Basically, they're the people that make the lasers that etch the chips in your phones and computers and stuff. So awesome. I would love to hear more about how you made that decision. That's something I get asked a lot is, you know, I want to do this right after 
uh, right after undergrad? Is that a good idea? And, you know, honestly, my mm-hmm. sentiment is usually like try and get work experience first mm-hmm. and use a master's. Like if you know, you know you don't land the positions you want, like absolutely go and do it. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know, if there is a, a you know, I, I don't have a great perspective on that because that's not what I did. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely interested to hear what the thought process was there and and how you ended up going down that route. Well, it depends on what market you graduate in. Is the market doing well? It depends on how marketable you are as a person. So my undergrad in nanoengineering was not suitable for a lot of data science jobs. I didn't have a portfolio to showcase my skills. I didn't have skills themselves, really, which sounds terrible, but you know, we're always learning and we're always growing. And so one thing I liked with the master's is it was part-time so I could work during the master's. But one thing that people don't consider with doing a master's is the barrier to entry for an entry-level job is, you know, sky high. Whereas if you're in a master's program, you can intern, which makes the barrier to entry for other jobs a lot easier because you have experience. Like how do you get experience without experience? You know, (laughs) like you need experience to get a job, but if you don't have experience, how do you get it? And that was one way around the, you know, you need experience to get a job thing. So I interned, of course you get paid usually when you're a data science intern because it's a high demand field, at least in theory. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, I think that that is so, so, so important. Um, mm-hmm. it, the idea that, so I, I kind of use my, my <laughs> one of my master's degrees in the same way is that you're one thing that you are getting with masters, obviously you have, mm-hmm. in most cases, you have to pay a reasonable amount, but mm-hmm. you get time and you get mm-hmm. opportunities. And I, and I think that if you're doing one of these master's degrees um, and you're not either doing research or getting an internship, you're, you're kind of squandering that opportunity because those are the things, not necessarily the degree, mm-hmm. but the experience that you accumulate during the degree is in my mind, what's going to set you up for a position after you graduate. And so you know, that's generally my advice for anyone going back is like, make sure you capitalize on, you build your portfolio. You like, mm-hmm. you try and land these intermediary positions because mm-hmm. that's, that's the experience people are looking for. People will look at a degree and be like, great. Like, have you done anything? <laughs> exactly. And the big part about that is you can't necessarily intern if you aren't in college or if you aren't in some program. And if you just go for the high level entry level job, like, you might not be able to get it. And then when you graduate, you can't just go back and be like, hey, I want to intern, you know? That doesn't always fly, which is kind of sad in our kind of economy these days. Like you kind of need an internship to get an entry-level job and at least it's a lot easier, yeah. Well, you know, that surprises me. I I would hope that in the future, we'll start seeing a lot more internships available to people who have already graduated because Mm -hmm. for companies, it's like a try before you buy type Mm -hmm. of thing. I don't think that that's a bad model. You get to a lot more out of evaluating an intern than you do from just the raw interview process. It's also a little bit more cost intensive and things like that, but it's an interesting, uh, I'm fascinated that it's not more common that we don't have graduate internships or fellowships or co-ops or whatever it is. I think it's just the way the workforce has been structured, really. I mean, it's hard to change old business practices and like that's one disadvantage about, you know, doing a boot camp or an online program or whatever. Oftentimes, you know, you can't intern, so it's harder to get that first job. So, yeah. And, you know, the, I, I've seen a lot of really good projects come out of those, but mm-hmm. 
as sad as it is, I, I think most projects are not exactly the same as mm-hmm. as real world work, which is, I guess, the, the nature of the game, right? I mean, I know projects definitely help because I've, you know, I've written about it. I've gotten people reach out to me based on some project I made or some like medium article I wrote, you know, it's like, hey, do you want to interview for this job? So it does happen. It's just you're making things harder than they need to be necessarily. Assuming that you kind of figured out in your last year of undergrad, for example, that you want to do data science. And one thing about like internships people also forget is like they're graduating, let's say in June. Let's say someone here is graduating June this year. Some companies will take interns, you know, starting in June, even if you're a graduating senior or, you know, in master's or whatever. And, you know, while it's great to get that full-time job, apply for both. Apply for internships, apply for full-time, apply for literally everything. <laughs> you need that first job to get a job. I, I, I could not agree more. I, I think that it, we should always be trying to get the opportunities, um, that could lead to something greater. I mean, we shouldn't be looking at internships or jobs as stepping stones, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, don't, don't be sold on just like a data science internship, like mm-hmm. a, like a software engineering internship mm-hmm. is a lot closer to data science than no internship. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing with a data analysis internship. I mean, you're, you have to make the steps career-wise that are moving forward towards I mean, I, I think data science is, not a great goal because mm-hmm. career-wise, it's always moving forward. You're always having to learn. There's no end to learning mm-hmm. data science or that progress. But um, you always got to just like make the move that puts you forward in a in in a small way, even if it's not the one exactly that you want, right? Yeah, and a job isn't forever, right? Like, I mean, most jobs you don't stay at for longer than three years or five years at, you know, max. Sometimes people stay for a year. Especially in tech. Contract roles, you know. And also, sorry, follow up on your point about like, you know, even if it's a data analyst internship or computer science, oftentimes people don't necessarily call their, you know, data science type jobs or roles actually data science. So some companies it's always been like data analytics specialist or, you know, computer science, but really doing data science work. So it's all about the transferable skills, not necessarily the title itself, right? Yeah. So I mean that that kind of boils down to I, I guess we're kind of jumping mm-hmm. a little bit into the resume and those types yeah. of things. But you know, when I review a resume, again, granted, I haven't reviewed a resume in in uh, like about a year, mm-hmm. but I don't look at the titles of the position. Oh, I, I like glance at it. What I look at is mm-hmm. what they did in the role, what type of um, like outcomes that they created. And if the outcomes are data focused, like, you know, what, what do I care about what they were called? I mean, same thing with the degree. If I look at someone, let's say they have a master's in um, information systems and I see all their coursework is related to machine learning. Mm-hmm. What do I care what the, the master's degree was in? I care what they took, whether they're there and what they learned when they were there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think just people get so wrapped up in, in naming conventions and what it's called Mm-hmm. You know, you don't realize how much flexibility you have when you're describing these things. Yeah, of course. And yeah, I have seen a lot of people like, oh, I need a data, you know, uh, science masters, or I need an AI masters or machine learning masters. I'm like, yeah, but what about the actual skills? Like, are you sure you're actually learning what you want to learn there, right? Yeah. Well, I, I've been getting a lot of questions recently. I guess it's that time of year that mm-hmm. uh, people want to are applying to these programs and they're like, which one is better? Which one is worse? What should I be taking? 
And to me, I mean, I'm, I can't go through all the, the programs, mm-hmm. right? But I can tell you, like, look at what courses they are. And if they're mm-hmm. things that you think would be useful, or you like mm-hmm. look at some job descriptions and you see things that are matching up, like to me, it's like, well, mm-hmm. you analyzed it effectively. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, uh, myself telling you what to do based on your situation is not going to be the best approach. It has to be way more personalized than that. I mean, there's also like reviews of courses online, even for masters boot camps, especially. Like you can go on, you know, I, I forget. Like for boot camps, for example, I mean, it's Course Hero, whatever it is. Um, you can just Google online and find out, you know, is this boot camp good for what I want to do? You can also for masters programs. You can go on Reddit and. People have talked about like the Georgia Tech, you know, master's computer science program on there. Like you can always find information about programs online. <laughs> like, are they updated? Are, are they teaching, you know, 10 years old, you know, and not functional? So yeah. it's a great point you make. Yeah. Well, also there's no harm in reaching out to people associated yeah, with those things. If, if, if someone asked me about the programs that I did, they're like, mm-hmm. you know, did you enjoy taking this course or like, Mm -hmm. did you think it was worth it? I'll usually say like for me, yes, because I had very specific goals. I'm, I like recently made a video about why I chose my specific program, but people Mm -hmm. realize that like my decision-making process would have been completely irrational for someone else that wanted different things. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted a program where I could explore a lot of software engineering because I've always been very interested in entrepreneurship And I Mm -hmm. wanted to have some of those skills if I needed it. It it turns out I'm like not good at software development, but, or not good yet. Or if I wanted to be, I probably could be with a lot of study. Uh, I'm trying to focus on my like uh, self, uh, self speak. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's that, that conversation, that, that thought, it just has to be so specific to you. And people don't realize how unique their cases are often, you Mm -hmm. know? All right, let's um, let's move on. I would love to start hearing more about how you got interested in the content creation, especially kind of the blogging and the and the course creation. That's something I've obviously dabbled in, but you're quite a bit further along down those lines than I am. And I'm always fascinated with like, why does someone put something on the internet for others to, to read or listen to? Well, it starts from my undergrad not being marketable in any way, shape or form really. Uh, I didn't have a lot of programming skills in my undergrad. I was basically doing a lot of like chemistry and biology type of work, uh, material science, but uh, what I was doing is very similar. And one thing I realized is like, I need to have things online to have proof, especially since my undergrad was so very different than what I wanted to do with my life. So I started, you know, writing blogs and making like very simple YouTube videos. Someone was also automating my, you know, life a little bit. Cause someone's like, Oh, how do you install this? And rather than me just doing it for 10 different people or 20 different people or whatever, I just you know, made a video. And a lot of the simplest videos actually end up getting me, you know, people like, oh, I really like your blog on, you know, really simple X or really simple Y. And it led to people contacting me like, hey, can you make a course for us? Or like, hey, would you mind teaching this? Or, you know, would you mind assisting this class or whatever? Because I had content online and that brought me interest in, you know, content creation jobs. And for the course for, I made a couple of courses on LinkedIn learning. Like I wrote an article on box plots, for example, <laughs> like pretty simple things. I wrote it pretty much in, very much in depth. And I had someone from Maycraft who like makes LinkedIn learning classes, for example, reach out to me about like, hey, can you make a class on day visualization? We like your visuals and, you know, X article. And I'm like, you know, sure, that's fine. I'll, I'll make a course. 
Uh, in the past though, I also made a course for UC San Diego. They have an extension school there and does on data analytics. And partly why they wanted me was I've already made things. There's so much proof that I can make content, maybe not the best content, like my YouTube, definitely I should put actual effort into that, <laughs> uh, especially since I don't, you know, post regularly, but that's how it kind of led to that. And I really enjoy it now because by the process of making content, you're learning in a lot of ways, you're firming up your ideas, you're making sure your assumptions are valid. And by students telling you like, Hey, you're not clear here. Uh, I learned, you know, how to be clearer and how to be more concise in theory, at least. Well, that's awesome. I, you know, one, one thing I really want to highlight in that is the idea mm -hmm. of proof, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard for a lot of people to, to evaluate skills. It's really hard mm -hmm. to say, is someone going to be a good data scientist, right? Is someone going to be a good mm -hmm. communicator? And if you're putting stuff out there from a blog post, for example, mm -hmm. I can generally see how you think a little bit. Mm -hmm. I can see how you communicate. I mean, I would say most communication in an office, especially nowadays, is via email, via Slack, mm -hmm. via writing. And if you can see that this person is a very clear writer, mm -hmm. to an employer that stands out as like, wow, like I don't have to worry about muddled messages or whatever that is when we're, mm -hmm. when we're working together. Um, and it's unbelievable the amount of, I guess, different skills that you show through these different platforms. Mm -hmm. I, I love, I mean, I haven't really looked for a job in the last you know, couple of years, but if I, if I were, if someone were to see my YouTube channel before I interviewed, they'd know how I speak. They'd understand my diction. They'd understand mm -hmm. some of the idiosyncrasies I have with my communication, but it's like they already met me for the most part. Mm -hmm. And the familiarity concept, the, that aspect is so important for an interview. You know, would you mm -hmm. rather hire, well, most people probably wouldn't recommend hiring their friends, but would you rather hire someone that you know and that you can kind of vouch for and see their track record? Or would you hire mm -hmm. some kind of random person off the street? That that one little extra layer of trust, mm -hmm. uh, I feel like just goes so far. And you have so much demonstrated proof, you know, like if I was hiring you to make, you know, YouTube content or to talk about data science or data science careers, like there's clear proof you've done it, you know? And, you know, your sports analytics work, same thing, like, or whatever you do for, what do you actually do for your day job these days? So I'm still doing the sports analytics stuff. Okay. So uh, consulting in that realm, still basketball mm -hmm. and mostly golf. Yeah. And like your work experience is, you know, proof that you've done something. But if you, you know, wrote about you know, sports analytics and you've never had a job before, people will be like, oh, this person happens to know what they're doing. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, so. people think, I've had a lot of people think they're like, oh, I don't have to do this anymore after I get a job. And that's true to a certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. Like once you have a data science job, it's a lot mm -hmm. easier to get another data science job because someone has validated that you're quote unquote, like data science worthy, right? Yeah. But at the same time, if you keep producing this, this stuff on the side, there are so many positive externalities that come out of it, whether it's mm -hmm. speaking, whether it's like, you know, like yourself, the, the courses, whatever that might be, mm -hmm. um, uh, to me, th there's there's no reason not to because, at least for me, it's stuff I'd be doing anyway, and I'm just mm -hmm. documenting it and sharing it with the world. And so, yeah, of course, you're getting just like economies of scope from just putting stuff out there that you're going to do anyway. And because <laughs> I did something for um, LinkedIn Learning, then that's how I met John David. 
Ariansen, and he was on your podcast, I believe, or he'll be on your podcast, yeah. not released yet. We, we've we've uh, exchanged podcasts. Really, really interesting guys. I'll I'll link that for for any of the viewers as well. Yeah, and like how to his podcast is how to get an analytics job or data analytics job, and like that's how I met him. And because of John David and being on his podcast, someone's like, "Hey, can you make a course for us?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." I mean, I'm kind of tired at the moment because of you know COVID, <laughs> but you know, sure. Uh, and it all builds on itself. Like every article I write, as long as I put some effort into it, like I get people reach out to me like, hey, I really liked your article or like, hey, we really need, you know, what you do exactly at our company or you want to be a developer advocate or do you want to, you know, uh, teach data science. And in some cases like, hey, we, you know, we want you to be a data scientist here or interview for this job. It, it helps so much. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I will say the biggest takeaway I've had from having, you know, some semblance mm-hmm. of a network, whether it's yeah. YouTube, whether it's LinkedIn, is that the opportunities that come to you mm-hmm. are a lot better than the ones that you go out and reach. Like you might really want it to a, a specific position mm-hmm. and that's great, but like it's completely pushed from your end, mm-hmm. right? If a company is reaching out to you and you also are interested in working there, Mm-hmm. The synergy is so much higher that the like the odds you get it are so much higher. Mm-hmm. The odds that they'll be willing to like you know concede some things or give you exactly what you want out of the opportunity mm-hmm. are so much higher because they have that initial genuine interest. You don't have to manufacture interest. You don't have to sell yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Which you know that's that's not something. One of the reasons I created all this content is I don't like selling myself. <laughs> I, I think in certain situations I can be good at it, but. Mm-hmm. That is not my favorite thing to do. I'd rather, it's like, hey, you want to work with me? I love that. I I Mm -hmm. like working with people that want to work with me, you know? Yeah, of course. And yeah, there's a lot of positive effects with that versus, you know, reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, like, hey, could you give me a job? Like, I, you know, want a referral. I haven't actually looked in your website to see if you have jobs available, but, you know, I really think you should give me one, you know? It's a lot less powerful of a message. Oh, I I saw a comment the other day uh, that was, Hey, can you like make a video or can you show me how to learn data science from zero to being an expert step by step? And it's like, come on guys, we got, we got to put in, got to put in some work here. Mm -hmm. Like like part of this process is, um, you know, whether it's learning data science or getting, Mm -hmm. getting a job, whatever it is, it's like, it's user driven. Like you're not mm-hmm. going to be a good data scientist if you want someone to do all the the work for you, or you're not going to do your homework. You're not going to do your research. That's like the fun of data science is that you got to dig into these problems. And same with the the interview process or mm-hmm. or getting a job is that. I mean, for me, I like the part of where I create stuff and they come to me. Mm-hmm. Like some people love the like the thrill of being like, I beat out these 400 other candidates for this position, and it's it, you mm-hmm. can like gamify it and make it fun, right? I mean, again, not my cup of tea, but some people like love that portion of it. Yeah, I might be one of those people that likes being interviewed. <laughs> I think uh, it's not in terms of like, you know, get the job necessarily, but I do enjoy the process of looking for jobs because I've had to teach getting jobs before. Like, you know, makes you a better like, teacher. Like, how do you request, how do you ask someone for a referral? You know, you, not just, you know, like, hey, I here's my resume I just randomly sent to you in this generic LinkedIn message. 
It's like, you know, go on the website, see what they're looking for, find the actual job title you're looking for, because not every company has a data scientist. It could be, you know, applied scientists, you know, something, something job title. And then like, here's a job I'm interested in person. Here's where I'm a good fit, you know, and, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, and like a bunch of other things also, you know, building actual relationships with people, not just trying to, you know, get something really quickly out of people, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's something I've really realized and I've started to enjoy is that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I get now quite a few messages, comments, whatever that might be. And I find it really meaningful when someone is, um, they, they, they care in the mm-hmm. sense that they it, like research the person as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I'm reaching out to someone, if I hypothetically, if I were to, mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, what is their position been like what is their journey to get to this position you know like maybe i went to the same school with them you know maybe just a little bit more context around them and and making the conversation even if it's about a role Mm -hmm. like add a little bit of you know their flavor to it Uh, that sounded a little weird but um yeah about people putting in efforts same thing with personal relationships you know you put no effort to a personal relationship, it might not go as well as if you put in some effort, you know, in any way, shape or form, you know? <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I, you know, I've been meaning to ask about the the course creation and the, the idea of a lot of online uh, mm-hmm. resources. So, so you've made quite a few courses now. Yeah. Uh, you've also obviously done a, a master's degree related mm-hmm. to data science. You know, I have some thoughts on this, but I really want your perspective on just the differences between learning through those two mediums. Um, you know, is one better than the other or is it kind of a situational thing? What are some of the pluses and minuses of, of kind of each side? So everything is situational, as you know, as you've mentioned earlier in this uh, episode. Hopefully, hopefully we'll beat it to that because it's so important. Yeah. So for a master's, there's the time aspect, as you mentioned earlier. Like you can have, you can have the opportunity to intern and get actual experience while you're going through a um, master's program or a PhD or undergrad or whatever. So that's an essential part that people often forget about. So that's really, really essential. So a master's is typically seen at least for data science roles as a easier stepping stone to a job because that's what employers traditionally look for. Uh, and so that's changing though. That's those sort of things are changing all the time. And this advice I'm sure will change, you know, three years from now, five years from now, whatever. And with the masters, you kind of just learn everything. You don't really have much of a choice in some cases. You're like, here's the 12 class you need to graduate or whatever. You do have some choice in electives or whatever. And that could be very valuable for uh, customizing your own learning. A disadvantage of a master's is like a lot of content creators, we're not always incentivized to update content. And especially at major research institutions, like big, big schools, oftentimes professors, um, to say this nicely, their incentive structure for their jobs is not to improve their coursework, you know, at a relatively frequent uh, level. So you can be learning really old things or very nice. How things are broken, you know? (laughs) So that's a disadvantage. Whereas for like online course creation um, or online content, if you take like Coursera class or LinkedIn learning or, you know, Udemy or whatever, the instructors are uh, more often incentivized to keep their content current because if it's not current, you have bad reviews. 
and you make less money as a course instructor. Uh, usually, there are some courses that just have never been updated, they still get money, but you know, <laughs> that's just kind of how it is. But one advantage of online learning, which I really like, and this is true even for me these days, is very modular. So if you want to learn X or you want to learn more in detail about Flask, for example, and serving machine learning model for whatever reason, you can do that. You can find a course on it and just go through it. And you don't have to learn about, you know, uh, two years of a program and take a bunch of courses you're not interested in. You can learn about specifically what you're interested in when you're interested. And that's a big, big thing. Uh, disadvantage of courses, yeah, I mentioned earlier. Yeah, they're not as necessarily impressive on a resume, usually. Same thing with um, boot camps. But at least with like boot camps, they're short. And with online courses, they're relatively short. So you can get out in the workforce faster, ideally, in an ideal, ideal situation. So, awesome. Well, I think one, one other thing I'd like to bring up is usually the cost associated with these mm -hmm. things. So yeah, master's degrees are far more expensive. Oh, you know, yeah. I'm facing, um, you know, upwards of six figures of debt from the the two that I did. And, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, you know, I, I, I was in a position where, you know, I, I have a job, I can pay these things off. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, from any of these things, there is no guarantee of a job, right? Of course. So yeah, I, I think going through a master's program, your odds of landing a like true data science position out of school are significantly higher. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if we're looking at a certificate route, landing a analyst position, landing a, um, a kind of low, lower level position and working your way mm -hmm. up to a data scientist position in two years. I would say that the odds of going that route and getting into data science, mm -hmm. although you have to do one, like at least one more step in the chain, mm -hmm. but the timeframes or whatever it is, like they're probably not that different. Yeah. Um, obviously I, I had to go the master's route because that's kind of how my brain works for learning. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you need to put a little skin in the game or, or have, um, you know, have a little bit more structure for you to mm -hmm. learn effectively. That's how I am. But I mean, that's how I was. I think now I'd be able to, to go the mm -hmm. a different route. But again, situational, right? Yeah, the cost is a big one. Also, I think one thing we always talk about, like, oh, you, you should do a master's, you should do, you know, boot camp or, you know, do some online course. It's all about which masters or which online course or which boot camp has, yeah, you need to look at the reviews for these things, talk to people that have done them and find out if they're appropriate because it's very easy to say in advertising, like, oh, you'll get a job from this master's program, you know, hundred percent, you know, uh, yeah, you better check these, you know, these facts and figures and talk to people and, you know, maybe it was true 10 years ago, but is it true today? You know? Yeah. Well, you so. see that a lot out of boot camps. Mm -hmm. And I think what people don't realize is that, yes, you know, they, they like might guarantee a job, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not a data science job, mm -hmm. right? Like, like they have a lot of placement into maybe PM roles, or maybe into data analyst roles, or, or maybe something not even like data related, mm -hmm. but they still count those in their metrics. Um, yeah. And it's also is a regulation around metrics for any, you know, platform or any course. Like, and also is it is a guarantee for any of these type of like options, like how do they give you the money back? It's a guarantee. Do you have to, you know, apply for a year? Do you have to apply for six months? Uh, do I count? Yeah. Any job, like you said, not just an analyst job, but is it, you know, any minimum wage job, you know? So always be careful, always verify facts. And that's part of data science actually is verifying things in data. 
and doing research on data. So it's a good job skill also (laughs) just to verify things. So I think lesson learned is read this, the fine print, right? Yeah, read the fine print, contact people that have done things, you know, ask them. Like I have people ask me about my master's program all the time on LinkedIn. So yeah. I could not agree more. So one thing that with the course creation I've always been interested in is mm-hmm. what, what have you learned about the process of learning in general from doing that? Um, you, you know, whether it's helped you to solidify your data science knowledge more or whether that's, um, you know, helps you to teach others better, you know, what have you learned either from the feedback or from putting these things together that, that might've surprised you? A lot of good content is really just about the effort that you put in because oftentimes if people for certain tasks, just going underneath the, the scenes of course creation, people often pay you for content. It doesn't necessarily mean to always be good content. So there's some courses out there that people just pay for content. People get done as fast as possible, get the paycheck. If it's just like a flat fee. And that's kind of a, a little like not great thing about course content in general for some places, but I've learned a lot about like how students learn by, you know, them coming to me like, Hey, there's some error in your content or, you know, this needs to be updated because this installation process changed or, you know, this method changed or whatever. So I learn like how to update my content, how to be super clear by my students coming back to me or my blog post readers or my course content people coming back to me. I've also learned about how to structure things. I think the biggest thing I learned about course creation and that sort of thing from uh, all this process is getting people started is the hardest. So it's getting people, you know, not struggling from the first video is the most important thing. Like, can they get, you know, Python installed? Could they get, you know, Google Collab working if you're using that? Can you get them past, you know, day one? And then the process is a lot easier because oftentimes we just want to get to the exciting part, the machine learning or, you know, deep learning or whatever. And I find a lot of course creators, like I've been guilty of this before too. Uh, we spend less time on the less fun stuff and the stuff that we're interested in ourselves. <laughs> and so I've learned you know, spend time helping people get off the ground, you know? So, you know, that's something I, I definitely, I think I could probably work on quite a bit mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good piece of insight. Uh, that's not something that, uh, you know, I always think about, Oh, like what, where's the meat of this? But mm-hmm. I mean, if you think of a YouTube video, it's the same thing is that if people are lost in the first couple seconds, mm-hmm. you know, they're just going to click off. Yeah, of course. Um, whether it's they're not interested, they don't like you, or, or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I would almost say it's like important to kind of front load a little bit. Is that hey, how do we make this, you know, the production or whatever it is, as useful as possible in the in the beginning? And if they reach a certain threshold, they're probably going to be in for the long the long run at this point. Yeah, and they'll be less frustrated and they're not going to have to go to another place that doesn't spend as much effort in the beginning either. <laughs> like, it's very additive. Very true. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So obviously you've, you've mentioned LinkedIn learning, mm-hmm. but I'm interested in how LinkedIn as a platform in general um, 
has impacted your career, uh, how you how you use the platform. You have a, a ton of followers there. Mm-hmm. I think you might be be edging me out just by by a few. So anyone anyone listening, feel free to you know follow me on LinkedIn. You're welcome to <laughs> Fo- follow Michael as well. But um, you know that platform is something that I've been on, but I don't mm-hmm. think that I've necessarily maximized my engagement there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a little worried because it's so big and vast that I'd get lost and I'd, you know, divided attention for me is, uh, is, is bad for business. So I'd love to, to learn more about that space from you. So the big thing about LinkedIn is really just filling out your profile. I think a lot of people just, you know, have LinkedIn to say they have a LinkedIn. They don't necessarily put, you know, photos on their LinkedIn of who they are, like, you know, profile photo. There's no description of like anything about them. There's just a job title and not necessarily like what they did at a job. And I don't put it for all my title, uh, all my jobs either. Cause at this point I'm, I'm getting more than enough t- attention that I want. Um, I, by the way, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just from like recruiters. It, it's a lot these days. Um, it never used to be that way before it was like, I could beg, you know, for hours for a job, but just be hoping, but no one would reach out. Uh, it's a flip switch, flip switch yeah, somewhere. And, you know, put a skills section, you know, uh, pro people search, you know, for people they're looking to like hire on LinkedIn. If you don't have any skills section on your LinkedIn or you don't have anything in your description section, you know, with Python or R or, you know, machine learning, you're harder to search. And that's one way people often get jobs is people reach out to you, like you said earlier in this um, podcast. So that's a, a major one. And as far as how it's influenced my career, oftentimes people will, you know, say, oh, I really enjoyed your course. And they'll share like, you know, I've completed, you know, Python for day visualization or whatever my course is called on LinkedIn. And, and, you know, I'll be like, oh, congratulations or whatever. So that's a follower that way, or people are more likely to find me that way. Uh, it's also people like that reach out to me over LinkedIn. Like, I liked your blog, you know, that's, cool. And they happen to be from a big company sometimes, which is surprising because I write about very basic things. So I think we also have like imposter syndrome as people like, oh, how is that person from that, you know, amazing company saying they really like my blog on, you know, really simple X or really simple Y or environment management or whatever. (laughs) Uh, So that's really helped my career a lot because it's given me some validation that I'm doing stuff relatively correctly, but it's also helped people reach out to me for jobs. Like the LinkedIn learning stuff came because I had a filled out LinkedIn and a really good blog. Um, they can find me after they read an article. Uh, I think there's also, it's not just LinkedIn, it's links that lead to your LinkedIn. So if people find some you know interesting project you made in GitHub, uh, people found me from my GitHub to my LinkedIn, or they found me from my blog to my LinkedIn. And that's how they were able to reach out to me for some job opportunity or just to say thank you or to, you know, tell me how terrible I am in extreme cases, but you generally get more wonderful people than the opposite. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that that is, that's so true. And what people don't realize about LinkedIn is that, I mean, there's it, people are genuinely just like interested in exploring recruiters are always on there. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have a profile, you're going to be able, and, and you have mm-hmm. keywords, you're related to data science, like someone's going to look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. I mean, I, I think one area of the LinkedIn profile that's underutilized is the kind of about me statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I don't recommend putting on a resume. 
but mm-hmm. like it's very well accepted on LinkedIn. And you should talk about yourself. You should talk about the things you enjoy. People love a story, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, if a recruiter likes your story, which they can see either through your LinkedIn profile, through your blog post, through any mm-hmm. of these things, they'll probably reach out to you. What's what's the risk on their end, right? Yeah, it's a none. little bit of their time. So yeah, um, and that's also something that people like that's searchable from LinkedIn side too. Like people often get skills from those sections, you know. Uh, they have data scientists at LinkedIn. <laughs> They're pretty good at parsing text, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's part of their algorithm is yeah. those about me or descriptions or whatever they call it these days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you can go overboard, but mm-hmm. I you rarely see someone go overboard. Um more is usually valuable. Yes, definitely. hundred <laughs> percent. So one thing, I apologize for jumping around a little bit. Sure. One thing we talked about offline was your most interesting course creation experience. I would love to hear just a little story. This gave me a really good chuckle uh, when I heard about it the first time. So I feel like it's, it's only fair to, uh, to share it with, uh, with the listeners. Um, you, you created a course in a very, uh, a very unique place, huh? Yes. So normally when you agree to do a course, you're there's under certain assumptions that are almost always going to be true. Like you're going to be in a studio or you can record it at home. Uh, but then plans change, especially now during COVID. So I was in, let's say Palm Springs area, just visiting my family and taking care of some stuff. And I was going to go to Santa Barbara to record a course, but that, you know, essentially was just never going to happen during COVID because you have to speak and, you know, enunciate and projecting is not great for, you know, not spreading COVID, you know, or projecting is bad for, you know, right now, because you can spread COVID other stuff and be in the same room and, you know, being a non well ventilated area to record. So I was in Palm Springs and I essentially was an Airbnb for COVID based reasons. And I couldn't find anywhere to record in the area that was open. I didn't really have much equipment. And so I ended up recording a LinkedIn learning class. It's actually on LinkedIn right now, <laughs> machine learning with Python or machine learning with scikit-learn. And I was in the bathroom the entire time. I opened up like, uh, I don't know what they call like, you know, place where people store towels. And I basically hung some moving blankets. I moved a table from like the kitchen into the bathroom. Like I soundproofed the bathroom, <laughs> like and record an entire course, like all like, you know, 20 something videos, you know? Oh my God, that was long. That was a long time because I promised to do a course. So I had to do the course. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, for anyone who's watching the YouTube version, I'm going to try and put a couple of the pictures you sent me on the screen. Because that that to me is the funniest thing is that you you hear the the water running or something in the background. I mean, obviously you soundproofed it, but I mean, even, even here, like there's wind issues. I mean, it's hard to get good quality sound. I'm probably going to maybe one day if I ever make it, get a, get a podcasting soundproof studio or something, but yeah, nothing is ever soundproof, nothing. So, and like, it was also, I forgot what they're called. Uh, there's a season like every couple of years where bugs make noises in trees. So cicadias, I think they are. So that was going off and like just all these sounds. Plus it was an Airbnb. And so there wasn't always perfect noise. Like I think the thing people forget is that, in any sort of job, things don't always go the way you planned. Especially data science. Especially data science. Data sets are not what they're promised or 
people's goals are not aligned with the data or if you're making courses and you don't have a soundproof area, you have to make your own and you can have to spend entire days in the bathroom and to get into the bathroom, uh, you have to, you know, squeeze the door because all your soundproofing things in the way, you know, <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll have as creative a story like that as for making a YouTube video. It's um, going to happen if you're traveling. It, yeah. I promise you it'll happen at some point. Yep. Well, we'll, we'll see when that happens next. But. <laughs> all right. Well, Michael, this has been incredible. I, at the end of, of, of all of these interviews, I leave the floor open to, to the guest, to you, to mm-hmm. talk about really anything you want. Uh, it could either be parting words of advice, how to reach you, mm-hmm. uh, any causes or projects you're working on. Uh, it's fun to kind of peel back the layer further and, and let, uh, let people know what, what's, uh, what's going on in your life. So as far as advice, I think one of the biggest things I can just recommend people looking for jobs or just people starting out or, you know, anything is to have proof of what you do. Kind of talked about this in this episode is it's one thing saying you can do something. It's another thing actually showing them and actually having demonstrable proof. So portfolio, please build a portfolio. You'll save yourself a lot of time. You don't necessarily hundred percent need one, but it really does help. Uh, other advice in terms of like just career advice, the time to look for a job is not when you, you know, really need one, you know, i.e. when you get laid off, because it does happen. So, you know, make effort before you need a job to network, to make friends, to build your online presence, to, you know, touch up your skills. Uh, and also look at what's on the job market, like what skills you need to learn to get a new job. And then as far as like, uh, me, like you can find me on Twitter at Galernic Michael. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn Learning, uh, Python for Day Visualization, 15 Tips to Get a Data Science Job, like a bunch of courses. If you want to see them, great. If not, that's cool too. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to chat with people. So that's about it. Awesome. Well, if you're watching this on YouTube, Michael's Twitter will be just under his picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the also everything, his YouTube channel, his LinkedIn, his Twitter will all be, mm-hmm. uh, pinned in the first comment when I wake mm-hmm. up to do that. And also in the description. So yeah. thank you again, Michael. I really enjoyed this and hopefully we'll talk again very soon. I hope to hear from you soon. And thanks for having me on. I always like chatting. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ken's nearest neighbors. If you enjoyed it, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you gave us a rating and followed the show, it helps us to continue to bring in awesome guests. I hope you'll join us next week for a conversation with Christina Stathopoulos. She's a data specialist that works for Google in Spain. She was born in the U.S., and in the interview, she shares her incredible story working abroad and assimilating to a new culture.